Are you one of the three quarters of people struggling with a fear or anxiety around public speaking? Do you wish you could communicate more effectively, develop more meaningful relationships, grow your business and access greater opportunities? Welcome to Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. In this series, I'll draw on my own experience from terrified teenager to UK award-winning speaker and communications coach, as well as speaking to a number of special guests, all with one object in mind, to help you communicate more effectively. Ready to grow? Let's get started. Hello, everybody. The warmest of welcomes to the Simon Speaks podcast. I'm pleased to have you on this episode, and I'm pleased to welcome Richard Parsons to the show. Richard is a professional full-time magician based down in, in Gloucestershire here in the UK. Uh, specializes in close-up magic and performs at all kinds of weddings, private events, uh, and corporate events and trade shows. And he's been abroad, including uh, across to Spain and Italy as well. Uh, he's performed on stage at the Everyman Theatre in Cheltenham, and uh, he has the, the sellout show down there that he's part of for the Evening of Deception. Uh, he's one of only 1,500 people in the world to be a member of the uh, the Magic Circle, which he did in 2012. Uh, and it, just a number of extraordinary achievements, uh, including the Southwest Wedding Entertainer of the Year several times uh, and the South Gloucester Wedding Supplier of the Year back in, in 2020, just last year. So he uses those performing and, and speaking skills uh, as well as to entertain, to also help other people overcome their fear of speaking in public, performance anxiety. Uh, and he hosts rooms on, on Clubhouse, and appears on podcasts and radio as well. So I'm absolutely intrigued for what promises to be a, something of a spellbinding episode. So I uh, welcome you, Richard, to the show, and I'm so pleased to have you here. Uh, first of all, I want to ask you, I remember as a kid sitting down on a Saturday evening watching a show called The Masked Magician. I think it was on ITV or Channel 4, something like that. But I watched yeah. this show, and, and that's where my, my interest in magic was really kindled, watching somebody who never spoke, it was just the narrator doing a voiceover. And, and these tricks were right up to death defying, like buried alive, being shot at. And, and I just thought it was extraordinary. And it always showed you how the tricks were done, which I know is kind of against code. But I, I was yeah. always trying to work out how they were done. And then I never had the idea and then it would show you. Uh, I've always been fascinated in magic without ever really getting into it seriously other than a couple of card tricks. But Tell me a bit about you and your background. Where did this love of magic come from and how did it lead you into doing what you're doing now? Morning, Simon. So I, unlike a lot of magicians, actually, the, the usual story is that they got a magic set when they were a kid or uh, their granddad showed them a trick or something like that. Uh, I do remember watching David Copperfield growing up. So I do remember watching him walk through the Great Wall of China I remember watching some of his uh, TV specials. And at one stage, I was uh, big into Darren Brown, especially his early series, uh, Tricks of the Mind and that kind of thing. So I've always been fascinated by magic. But actually, I, I got into it very late as an adult. I was already self-employed and I had my own business as a therapist, a hypnotherapist. And I was working in Cheltenham, had my own office, and I was seeing clients for different anxieties including things like fear of public speaking and it was actually at a hypnotherapy conference that somebody did some magic tricks for me a guy called mark and he got me absolutely hooked so that was in my 20s and he did he did a very nice thing actually simon he he never told me how the, the card trick was done uh he sent me a, a few decks of cards and a book 
and said, learn that and show me the tricks next time I see you, which, which I did. So I thought that was quite a nice way of getting someone started in magic. And uh, I did figure out the trick that he did with me. And I, st I still do it actually to this day. So yeah, I have a lot to thank him for a, a totally new career. So, uh, you know, very, very briefly, what happened was I, I did magic as a hobby, working as a therapist during the day, and then started to get bookings for weddings and events. And eventually the magic just simply took over and I gave up my office and stopped being a therapist to uh, to do magic full time. So that's that sort of takes me almost right up to date in a nutshell, basically. So, uh, yeah, never look back. Amazing. What a lovely story. I love the fact that you got into magic because somebody was kind enough rather than to just throw you a fish, you know, teach you how to fish and say, look, here's a few decks of cards in the book. You, you go learn for yourself. And I think I think as trying to be effective coaches, that's that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach people to go and, and do things for themselves. So I love the way that you got into magic through that and somebody else and now obviously you help coach other people as, as part of what you do with that that level of anxiety and, and performance as well which we'll get into just a little bit later so take me to 2012 and sure. take me to your your audition for for the magic circle i, I can imagine this was quite a nerve-wracking experience being under the scrutiny of, of people who very much know the trade uh, what was it like to tell me take me through the day and, and what happened yeah, so that that was a nerve-wracking experience. I don't really suffer from a huge amount of stage fright. I've managed to, to get over that, and we can talk about that. But uh, that is nerve-wracking when you're performing for other magicians. So if, if people listening to the podcast don't know, the Magic Circle is a club in London. And I think it's quite famous because you can only join via audition. You cannot just become a member. There's quite a process to get in. So you have to be nominated by two existing members first uh, to fill out the paperwork. So you have to know magicians, basically. Then you get invited to London for an interview. And if they're happy with the interview, they invite you back to audition. And then you go to the club headquarters on a Monday night and you audition for eight minutes in front of about 50 magicians. So they're all members. They can watch the auditions. And there's three members of the Magic Circle Council uh, watching you and judging you on your performance. Um, they are good in the sense that they give you the criteria for membership. So you have certain points for certain things that you do. And I think you've got to get something like 12 out of 20 to join or to, or to be to be admitted. Uh, so, for example, if you, if you did sleight of hand, you would get more points than if you used a trick deck of cards in your audition if that makes sense because you know obviously people know that you can buy some of these decks of cards where the, the deck will do something for you so you'd, you'd get a few points for that but you wouldn't get as many points as you would for you know actually actually using sleight of hand that you've practiced and rehearsed so uh the, the difficulty is it's the worst audience in the world because they're all magicians and they all know absolutely everything that you're doing i even cracked a joke simon in the middle of my audition to absolute silence nothing not even a murmur so uh yeah it was uh it, it was a pretty stressful evening really and i found out a month later i think four of us took our old uh audition that night and i think three of us got in and one didn't so yeah i'm glad it was just once <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it was it was pretty it was pretty stressful but it's it's a it's a real honor uh like you said in the in the intro there's only about 1,500 members in the entire world. So it is, it is something quite special. And I think people 
like booking a magician that is a member of the magic circle even if they're not quite sure what it is they know it's a it's a sort of a stamp of, uh, of approval which is which is really nice and it's a beautiful club as well you can go to their website they will let muggles in occasionally uh, you can go and watch competitions they also do things like uh, christmas shows uh, some muggles can often buy tickets for that so that there are there are times during the year where you can go into the magic circle it's got an amazing museum library they've got some uh, artifacts in there like houdini's handcuffs houdini's water tank so it's, it's a it's a crazy place imagine hogwarts it's basically hogwarts isn't it so uh yeah it's it's pretty special and in fact it's quite timely mentioning it now on your podcast because over the weekend a lady called megan has just become the first female president of the magic circle so she's just uh stepped up to be acting president so uh yeah that's it's exciting times so it's a it's a brilliant brilliant club to be part of mm, it sounds it and and i absolutely concur with your idea that performing in front of peers people who know your trade can be the, the most challenging because uh, I gave a presentation a couple of years ago to a group of uh, the Professional Speaking Association, about 250 people who were getting paid lots of money to go and coach and speak and do exactly the things that I was trying to do. Yeah. And I knew that they knew what I was doing before I did it, but you've still got to just keep the face and, and do the very best you can. And uh, yeah. it is definitely, yeah, I, I can concur. That's stress-inducing. So you've been obviously a member of the Magic Circle now for, for obviously coming up nine years. We've been in 2012. And... Since then, you've obviously gone on to, to make magic the, the dominant part of your career in terms of all the events that you do and, and things. I can imagine that people react in, in different ways, but I, I imagine there's a great deal of intrigue and curiosity and excitement around that, uh, obviously because of our natural tendency to, to want to find out things we don't know, but also the way that you perform as a magician, the tricks you use, the rehearsal that you do. I'm interested to learn a little bit more. How is it that you prepare for events? How do you prepare in such a way so as to to generate that curiosity and that excitement within people? Okay, so there's there's a couple of aspects to that. So I think preparation is absolutely key. So if you're going to perform magic in front of people, it's one thing doing it in your bedroom or doing it on YouTube or doing it for TikTok, that there are lots and lots and lots of magicians on video these days. But I wonder how many of them would actually be able to step into a corporate event with 40 tables and entertain them live because that's a, that's a whole different ball game when you've got to get people's attention. So there's an old, there's an old joke in the industry, Simon, that says a, a, an amateur magician knows a hundred tricks and a professional magician knows five. And, and there is some truth to that, that if you keep things very simple and do your best work, and uh, part of the game is to pick the right sort of tricks. So if you can imagine some things that would work really well on YouTube or Zoom or TikTok would not work in a noisy corporate event, black tie dinner with lots of speeches and interruptions and you've got waiters coming up. So uh, in reality, things need to be fairly quick, fairly visual. So anything uh, that's very visual captures people's attention. Um, and I guess the same in the speaking world uh, as well. If something's very visual, it can capture attention. And the the energy level is something that's very important. It's very difficult to describe, actually. But I would say my 
my personality and my energy levels go up as as I step out into the arena. So if I'm getting prepared backstage or if I'm in the green room before a wedding or before a corporate event, as soon as I've got my suit on and I'm ready, it's like my energy goes from 100% to 140%. So I think you have to approach things with a lot more energy. And, and that's why the job can actually be a lot more tiring than, than it seems. Sometimes my friends joke that my job's easy. I, I just go to a, an event and do a couple of card tricks for two hours. But actually, because of the energy that you're using, and it's, and it's got to be kind of higher than most people in the room, it can be actually exhausting by the end of it. So that's that's something that I would, um, you know, focus on if people are wanting to do this or, or music or, or some other kind of performance is to raise your energy levels, give yourself a, a pep talk before you go out. And people, people you'll, you'll naturally lift people. And I think that's what entertainers are very good at, comedians are very good at. So uh, for me, it's like an exaggerated version of myself so I'm, I'm the same person i'm the same character but running at 140 percent, not 80 percent mm. no I, I agree and and a similar thing a couple of people said to me before you know you just go and talk to people you just go and give a speech or a presentation yeah. like what, what's different about that but but again it's the emotional investment and it's the preparation that goes in beforehand like i'm, I'm unashamed to say that i have two or three suits in my wardrobe that i do not wear unless i'm going to a speaking event or if I'm sure. rehearsing for one. So there are a couple of times where I've put on a jacket or a suit and, I, and I've come into my office and I've set up my video and I've recorded parts of my presentation to get myself into the mind frame of this is how I'm going to be on the day. And then you put on that same suit, you go to the venue and, and it, it's a mark of delineation between you normal and you in the zone. And then you give your presentation and like I say, it's, it's higher levels of energy. But you try and put yourself in that mind frame as early as you can before the event. I know this is what you do as well when you rehearse. You're trying to replicate the conditions that you're going to have on the day as best you can before the event because then a lot of the anxiety will be reduced because you've already subjected yourself to, to difficult conditions. Um, I remember, oh, I'm trying to remember, uh, Nick Willender, um, tightrope walker, uh, who's doing all kinds of crazy things walking across tightropes, was saying that he used to, in training he used to expose himself to high winds during the, the training process while walking across the tightrope and, and actually make the conditions more difficult than they would be on the day so that when he got to the day it actually wasn't the hardest thing he'd been through he'd already done it in practice I really yeah. like that psychology I think that's very very clever and a lot of people wouldn't think about that but by doing the hardest bit first the actual event gets easier yeah it's, yeah that, that's that's fascinating i guess that's making yourself really uncomfortable isn't it beforehand so that on the actual day it's nowhere near as difficult as you as you thought it would be mm. um and so, certainly when i'm say learning new routines or working on new material another thing that i would suggest um to listeners is to get other people to look at it don't be afraid of uh, sharing your act with other people um, close friends, peers, get them to look at your speech or material. Uh, so even for my Magic Circle audition, I, I rehearsed it with friends of mine who are magicians and they gave me pointers, and gave me tips. And I think if you're perhaps writing a speech or something like that, it's always worth getting 
at least one other person to have a look at it and give you that that input well before the actual day uh, because you can you can easily stare at something for too long can't you and, and especially with something like magic which is quite a solo rehearsal we spend hours in, in front of a mirror rehearsing one coin move or something so it's quite a solo occupation so it's, it's very important to get i think uh, outside feedback and uh, like you said with the tightrope walker make yourself uncomfortable uh, comedians for example will, will very often test their new material with very small shows won't they before they go on tour very small almost tester audiences and those audiences will know that it's tester material and it might it might not work but they go there understanding that uh, so I suppose for, for anybody out there interested in magic uh, an easy way of doing that would be to, to volunteer to do some charity events first perhaps where you're not being paid and there you can you can test your material test your tricks and because you're not being paid for it there's there's less uh, there's less sort of fallback if it goes wrong um, you know you're, you're giving up your time for the charity they'd be very grateful uh, for some entertainment so that's a good way of good way of testing yourself but yeah there's, there's certainly I think with magic it's a, it's a funny thing there's certainly a lot of people I think that look amazing on camera and there are things on TikTok and YouTube that I watch and I can't do them but then I like I said before I do wonder whether those people can do it in the real world with real people and, you know, that's a totally different set of skills, social skills, approaching tables, talking to people, building rapport, uh, interrupting tables. When I walk up to a table, I'm interrupting them, basically. I'm a professional interrupter. <laughs> so you've got to do that in a really nice way to, to get the attention of 10 people when you're a complete stranger. When my friends joke with me that my job's easy, I say to them, well, go up to that table and interrupt them then see what happens that's what i have to do every day is walk up to a completely new group interrupt them and entertain them for 10 minutes uh, so that the soft skills are so important for the job it's not just about the magic it's about getting on with people mm. uh, so i think i had a, a major advantage being a therapist first i'm quite glad that my career was that way around because i think that gives me a, a massive advantage now mm. Absolutely, yeah, and and I, I hate the phrase soft skill because I don't think they're soft at all. I think they're some of the most important skills. Like as somebody, they're really the important, aren't they? Yeah, the the education sector. You know, my experiences there told me that that we focus so much on reading and writing and analysing texts, but we don't focus on job interviews, CV writing, talking to people, picking up the phone, and and you know these are the things that people need to have really as their bread and butter if they're going to succeed in in any industry. If you're going to be self-employed in particular. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting to hear somebody talk about how vital these these skills are in something that you wouldn't normally expect or associate with these kind of skills and, and I agree with you I think you know people from somebody who's come from live events and talking to live audiences and groups to going on to camera I found that to be an adjustment but I can imagine in reverse going from camera in your own bedroom or your own home to live events with people I can imagine that's that's even bigger now, I know I said earlier that you you don't have so much anxiety now because you've, you've worked on it over the years. Um, there will be people listening to this, I imagine, that, that will be anxious about various settings that they're involved in, whether it's presentations for work or being exposed to new environments and, and the need to, to engage with new people. What have you learned over the years that's helped you become a more confident communicator and, and to engage with people more effectively? So I think small talk is really important. 
I think if you are, this, this might be different for stage speaking to a whole massive audience because obviously you can't just quiz people in the front row and, and ask them about their job because you're then excluding the, the rest of the audience. So this, this might differ for very big audiences, but I think certainly for small tables and performing to smaller groups, um, just, just talking to people, being able to ask them questions about themselves. People love talking about themselves, don't they? So even when I'm doing close-up magic with a, with a group, I will often ask, what's their job? Where do they come from? People often provide their own comedy and their own banter. So I think using those skills to just talk to people as you're performing or before you start performing reduces your anxiety because... I think if they like you, they'll like your material. Uh, there's a, there's a, um, a strong sense of if they warm to you quickly, whatever you speak about or whatever your trick is should be okay. Uh, and I think that's that's got to happen pretty quickly, I think, uh, either on stage or if I'm doing uh, walk-around close-up magic. I think the first the first minute or two are absolutely crucial, probably more more crucial than the rest of the speech or the rest of the performance put together, what happens in those first couple of minutes. So uh, one of the biggest tips that I would uh, urge your listeners to think about is really think about the start of your performance. So whether it's music or a speech or a best man's speech or something like that, uh, think about those opening two minutes. Comedians are brilliant at this. Watch some comedians on YouTube and if you can get people in those first couple of minutes, the rest of it's easy. So that, that's what I would, that's what I would say. If you're writing a speech, writing your best man speech, um, preparing for a job interview, I would really focus on the start of it. What, what are you going to say? What's your opening line going to be? It, it actually, Simon took me, it's taken me, it's taken me about 10 years, literally 10 years to think of my perfect opening line for every table and I don't mind sharing it. So I used to stroll up to a table and say, good evening, I'm Richard. I'm your magician here for this evening. Would you like to see a trick? You know, that's, that's typically what new magicians would say. The trouble is you're giving people a question then, which gives them the chance to say, no, we wouldn't like to see a trick. We're in the middle of a conversation. So that's no good. So now, and this, like I said, this has taken me years and years. My opening line, I lean in, I normally put my hand gently on the alpha male who's talking. There's normally one person on the table who's talking. And I, I lean in and I say to everybody, is this the fun table? And it's taken me years to think of that line. Is this the fun table? So I don't say anything about magic. I don't say who I am. They have no idea at that moment. But almost always, people will immediately say, yes, this is the fun table. And that's it. I'm, I'm in. Then I can say, brilliant. So you need to pick a card. So that, that's, that's one of the things that I think people focus on the whole speech and that they'll worry about the whole thing. But I think if you get the start right, this is just my, my, my experience. I think if you get the start right, the, the, the rest of it will naturally fall into place and should be okay. So I would really spend much more time on the very beginning of your performance than I would on, on the rest of it. Yeah, your, your, your opening line, opening monologue, 
what what you say to people when you step out onto the stage and I, I know you're a big fan of, of silence as well as a very powerful a very powerful thing and uh there's nothing wrong with walking out on stage and just not saying anything for 20 seconds and, and just and just wait so th think think about you know urge your listeners to, to think about those things what, what what's going to happen in the first 30 seconds it could be that you do something really loud it could be that you do something silently uh houdini apparently I, i'm not quite sure if this is true or not but if it is it's very funny houdini apparently used to get out of the water tank and just wait behind the curtain and just wait and he would wait for over an hour so just building up that tension building up that suspense so there are there are lots of uh, I think techniques for for starting a performance, which I'm sure you help people with and you can coach people with. But yeah, play around with it. You know what what would happen if you walk out on stage and didn't say anything for a few seconds, or what would happen if you walked out on stage and did something really visual. So yeah, I, I think the opening. If I look at a lot of performers, I really concentrate on that first couple of minutes, and I think that can be very powerful. Absolutely agree, and it's brilliant, brilliant advice. The the hardest work is always done up until the moment you step out and you've done your first few minutes. Because once you've done your first few minutes, that like you say, the rest of it, because you've got to do all the relationship building, all the mental preparation, all the rehearsal, and that all comes together during the performance, just after those first few minutes. I think about times when I've prepared for for quite big events and. I think about the, the toughness of the audience in your mind before you ever get to the live audience, all the questions you ask yourself, all the self-doubt you go through and you have all that. And then you get to the event and somebody taught me something really profound recently, which is you do all of your relationship building and your networking before you step on the stage, not after you've stepped on the stage. So you chat to people before the event, if you can, you get to know a couple of names, you know, somebody tells you a bit of the story and you can always say, I absolutely love that. Could I share a bit of that when I'm presenting today? Uh, drop your name in and, and you know somebody goes oh I'm getting mentioned from the stage of course you can so then you get up and you say in the first couple of minutes you know you, you're warm you're, you're accommodating you, you do what Ken Dodds used to say which is you build a bridge from the stage into the audience so you can say oh I was talking to so and so just a couple of minutes ago before we got up here and this is what they said and I love that and that's and, and you're, yeah. you're already showing oh I'm one of you you know there's that connection there. yes and then that's the rapport you've built that relationship and, and it's brilliant so I absolutely love the, the tips and techniques about just building that that connection because then people see you as one of them. And like you say, then silence plays such a massive part. It, it shows that you're in control. It shows that you're the authority, that this is my stage. I'm going to take things at my pace. And I don't need to speak all the time in order to to leave you in suspense or build the curiosity or the anticipation. It, it, there are so many little tips and techniques that take nerve and take courage but once you've had the courage to use them a few times, uh, you really do start to see a, a huge difference in the way that you're able to build and maintain those those relationships with people. So I, I think all that's brilliant advice, uh, and I absolutely agree with it. I, I wanted to ask you as well about um, any particular events that you've done that you really reflect on, whether whether it was a particular challenging event and what you did to navigate it, or it was a really successful one that you're proud of that you thought went really well uh, are there any particularly striking memories that you've got over the, the years that have gone by yeah i think set, uh, stepping out on stage at the everyman theater in cheltenham was was a big moment in my career so i've traditionally been 
what, what we class as a close-up magician. So if people aren't sure, there are basically different types of magic. So you've got stage magic, you've got uh, close-up magic. So a close-up magician will usually wander amongst the guests. So at a drinks reception or wedding or corporate uh, table hopping, we call it as well. So you're going from one table to another at a black tie dinner. So all of those conditions are really close-up magic, what we would call mix and mingle magic. So you've also got mentalism, which is your your Darren Brown sort of thing with, with all the mind tricks and uh, mind reading. So it, it's quite normal for a close-up magician to go up a gear, I would say, and, and then go on to stage. And I do see it as a step up. I, I think stage is harder and, and harder to control. But the conditions are so vastly different. I can get away with a lot more in amongst a crowd of people than you can on stage with a spotlight. So, yeah, I, I uh, did a part of a stage show with a couple of other magicians. Uh, like you said in your intro, it's called The Evening of, of Deception. And it happens in Cheltenham every year in February. And there are different magicians every year. And it, it's wonderful. It's a, it's a pure magic show with three different magicians and just an experience of actually stepping out on stage to people that have bought a ticket to see you is different to, to say being booked at a corporate dinner where you're part of the entertainment. You know, you, you, do, you do feel like a bit of a star, you know, you walk in the stage door and your name is on, is on the, on the list and, the, and you slide it across to say that you're now in the theatre, you know, so even walking in the stage door, I mean, it's a bit of a dream, right? Really. So uh, that's that's definitely a highlight, and it, it was out of my comfort zone. So I'm proud of myself for doing it. Uh, like I said, going from close up to stage is is different. So I think it's important for every performer to challenge themselves. Just just say yes and do it rather than keep putting it off. Uh, and I, I mean, funnily enough, sometimes stage magicians say the same that they say to us close up workers. Oh, I don't know how you could do that. I don't know how you could go from table to table. So it's quite funny. They, they often have the same anxieties about doing close-up magic. Uh, but, yeah, that's that, that's something that really sticks out in my mind. So that was the, that's the first time I've done a, a paid theatre performance, and that was a sell-out run as well for a whole week. So that was something really special. Mm-hmm. When those lights go on and the music starts and you're backstage, you know, that, that, that gets the heart going. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine. I've I've never had the experience of actually walking up onto a a, a theatre style stage. I mean, and the closest I got was probably the one of the finals I was in a few years ago, where you, you could see the whole room anyway. It was just a, a podium and a bit of a stage, and they introduced you and you just you came on, but you could already see the room. But I can imagine coming up onto a stage where you haven't had the view of the room yet, and then you come out, you see everyone. That must be quite quite special. Yeah, we we, d- we did look at the audience first. You can peek through the curtains, but that's worse. Don't do that. <laughs> Just go, just go out there, don't, because otherwise you start looking at people. And I tell you, I tell you what they don't tell you. Um, sometimes when you're going out to stage, you can't see a thing because of all the lights. So even even little things like that. Uh, you you said it just a minute ago actually about kind of getting there early and networking. I think another thing that's very important for speaking, even even maybe if you're going to be a best man or, or something like that. Try, try and look at the environment first. Uh, get there early if you can. You know, where, where are the stage steps? How do you get up to the stage? How do you get off? Look at the whole environment. Don't just think about the speech. 
uh, where are you going to be seated before you do the speech? You know, even little things like that can help your nerves because you you know what's happening beforehand. But yeah, don't, don't peek out from behind the curtain because that just makes you more anxious. Because <laughs> you see people sitting in their seats and fidgeting, waiting for the show to start. And I was the first on as well. So uh, first out. Yeah, don't, don't peek through the curtains. Try and resist that temptation. Have a cup of tea backstage in the green room. It's much better. Now, I love the tip, though, about attention to detail and uh, having all of that in your mind beforehand because it helps with visualisation. And I, I know quite a few people are very big on mental rehearsal, visualising before and seeing it going positively. And it's very difficult to do that if you haven't got any sense of what the environment actually looks like. Uh, I was really grateful at some of the, the the more important speaking finals I've been to. The, you were able to go into the room beforehand, do a sound check, have a look at the stage, go up, stand, look at the room. And then obviously when you're doing your final rehearsals, then you're doing it, but you've got a mental picture of the actual room that you're going to be speaking in. And you can yeah. see where you're going to stand and, and like you say, how you get up and off the stage. And it's the tiny things like that that just cure those those bits of anxiety that you might have left over. So really profound advice and and it is all of these tiny things that once you take them into account and you're you're planning ahead rather than just reacting to situations that happen that you didn't plan for uh, you you really do start to find a, a difference in the the way that you approach it but then also your emotional response to it because you think okay that's happening but i've prepared for that i know that's coming and it just makes you feel yeah. so more at ease yeah and, and, e- and even little things like uh if you're using a mic stand, are you going to take the microphone out of the stand? Are you going to keep the stand? If you use the stand, do you know how to raise or lower it? You know, practice before you go on. So even even these little things can make somebody look like a natural stage performer. Um, and, and of course, the things that don't look like they're rehearsed have probably been rehearsed thousands of times. But even things like that, think about microphone technique holding things if you're going to be hold if you're doing a speech are you going to be holding bits of paper or bits of card if so which pocket are they going to be in so even even little things like that if you try and think about the the whole speech that you're going to do or the whole performance um so in my in my head i think of it like a script that you would get for a play where you don't just have the words you have the actual directions of the play as well so Othello comes on on stage left and exits stage right. So when you're writing your speech, you can do things like that as well. And in the margins, write sort of stage direction notes to yourself. You, you could write in margin, take a breath or pause or, uh, you know, st- stop wrestling the papers or, you know, little instructions to, to yourself. So that's, that's what I would say from being a performer's point of view is is try and think about the whole experience not just the actual words uh what what you're going to wear where you're going to stand uh so absolutely you're you're spot on if you can get to the environment early that that really helps i think that's probably easier isn't it with a, a proper speaking engagement or a tedx talk or something like that but i suppose even if you're a best man there's no harm at any venue would help you with this. There's no harm in nipping off during the drinks reception and having a quick look at where the wedding breakfast is. Where are you going to be sat? Where's the best place to do the speech from? It might not be from immediately where you're sat. You might not have the best view of the room. So it wouldn't do you any harm during the drinks reception to have a quick look at the room for five minutes and get yourself mentally prepared 
for that speech. Uh, so all of those things just, they, they just chip away at the anxiety, don't they? You're, you're more and more in control. You've seen the room. Um, if the wedding venue's got a microphone, do you know how to switch it on and off? Because there's nothing, there's nothing worse, I think, really, than people struggling to use the technology that looks like they haven't rehearsed. And it may not be their fault, because obviously you you could be using a microphone that you've never used before. But if you're doing a best man speech and the wedding venue say that they've got a PA system, say to them, can I have a look at the microphone? How do I turn it on and off? Uh, you know, make sure that you know beforehand, because it just it makes it look very slick, very professional. Um, when I'm watching a best man do their speech, and I've seen a lot, uh, you, you can tell the people that, that sort of really nail it. Yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I love I love all these these small tips and tricks about how you rehearse and, and just the notes you make. I mean, I gave a speech a few years ago where I had to give it across a number of rounds because I was going up through the competition. And I think I delivered the same speech four or five times. But if you'd have listened to the first take and the one that I gave in, you know, the semis, it was it was almost a different speech because I'd found ways to emphasise different. But because people say a five minute speech, oh, it can't be that hard. I disagree. I think a, a ninety minute keynote is easier than a five minute speech because you've yeah. got to put absolutely everything in those five minutes so that people remember you. Yeah. And and like you say, I, I'd have little arrows above half a word because I was going to st- stress that syllable and make sure it connected to that part down there. You know, I had a different colour highlighters for this is where I'm going to put stress there. And and I had one piece of A4 paper, but but it was coloured and it was notes, there were annotations, there were circles, there were arrows. And I've still got that piece of paper to this day because I, I recognise the amount of effort I put into that speech and, and I had a little code that I was working with. So all of these little things that you're suggesting are, are spot on. And people don't usually know this kind of thing about performers or speakers or coaches or magicians because you never get down to this level of detail. But it's the amount of preparation that goes in and the amount of diligence that goes in to make you absolutely proficient and competent at what you do. Uh, it's just absolutely yeah. phenomenal. I want to ask you, Richard, how can people get in touch with you at the moment and what is it they can get in touch about? What sort of things are you... Because I know we're on a roadmap out of the current situation, so you know people might be looking for, for different things. Uh, give me some idea of what it is people can get in touch with you for. Oh, thanks, Simon. So, yeah, so I've just done a whole series of Zoom shows uh, so people can still book me for a Zoom show if they want. So I'm still offering a half an hour Zoom show. Um, but at the moment, I'm taking lots of new bookings and new inquiries for May, June, July onwards this year. And next year's getting very booked up and very busy as well. So people are very welcome to message me or contact me about weddings, private parties, corporate events, anything really where you think a magician might be suitable. I, I travel all around the UK as well so it doesn't have to i'm based in gloucestershire but it doesn't have to be gloucestershire uh or i can always recommend another magician uh, if, you, if you're looking for someone local and you're stuck please do give me a ring because uh we tend to know each other on the circuit so i'm, I'm happy to recommend people as well uh so my instagram is probably the one that i use the most and that's gloss magician g-l-o-s magician my twitter is the same gloss magician on Facebook, if you search Gloucestershire Magician, my Facebook page should come up. And my website, not surprisingly, is uh, 
www.cdc.co.uk. So uh, those are all the ways of getting in touch. But I suppose Instagram is probably uh, the, the one that I use the most. Lots of pictures of weddings and people screaming. And there's video clips on there that are funny. Uh, you know, people people reacting differently. So, uh, yes, please do get in touch about any any weddings or upcoming events. Or if you're thinking about magic but not sure where it would fit into an event, give, give me a shout. Or perhaps we've got some budding magicians that are listening that need some advice. I get quite a lot of emails from uh, younger magicians that, that say, I don't know how to do this or how do I approach a table and uh, you know, I, I used to ask around when I first started. I would email people and ask for help. So but those those are fine too. Any emails like that are fine. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you. And and in closing, I, I wonder if I could ask you know if you've got any final words of advice for for our listeners. A lot of people that tend to listen to people who you know perhaps are points in their careers where they're you know fairly comfortable. They're they're not doing too badly with their careers, but it's usually a, a communication linked anxiety that's holding them back either from that next promotion more confidence uh, perhaps more meaningful relationships growing their business or their organization so in, in closing Richard what would you say to somebody who's perhaps listened to this and and enjoyed it but then thought I wonder how I can apply some of this to my own career my own confidence just grow that a little bit more and and kind of get myself out of a little bit of a rut that I'm in in terms of my communication anxiety what top tips would you leave with people in terms of what can they do now to start building that confidence in communicating with, with other people? So I think the only thing that I could really suggest is, is to make yourself uncomfortable. I think that's one of the only ways to grow uh, personally or, or professionally. And so, so the next time that a presentation comes up at work, volunteer for it. Even if you really don't want to do it off the stage and people say that was amazing or when you get cards saying thank you for performing at our wedding, it was wonderful, everyone's still talking about the magic, that makes it all worth it. So those tiny two minutes of nerves that, that you have just before you go on, that the buzz of performing blows that out of the water completely it's always worth it you you will i don't think you will ever regret going out on stage and, and doing your best because uh because a lot of people can't do it and find it really difficult so therefore when you challenge yourself and make yourself uncomfortable you will you will come off that stage a more confident person because you've you've taken a step and and had a go and i think that's that's probably the best it's, it's, it's not the most amazing advice in the world, but it's probably the best advice that I can give is, is to just just do it. Make yourself uncomfortable for a few minutes because the buzz is worth it. And it gets easier, like anything. Um, I don't get nervous now performing, but only because I've done it thousands of times. So that's the lovely thing as well. It gets easier and easier and easier and easier. Uh, and... Uh, you can only really do that, I think, by making yourself uncomfortable for a short term, whether that's one speech or 10 speeches. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you would say to people as well, it, it gets easier, I promise you. Um, so, yeah, it's taking that first step, isn't it? Which is the most difficult, of course. But I, I think I think you have to, if, you, if you're going to want to grow, if you're going to want to change your career or do something exciting that you've been putting off, 
that the only way to to get around that we call it stage time the only way to i get emails sometimes simon from youngsters saying how do i get over my performance nerves perform more carry a deck of cards around with you and perform to every single person that you see the postman in tesco's you know everywhere perform by the time you've done a trick a hundred times you won't worry about it so I, th- i think most performers will have gone through that journey they've gone through the uncomfortable bit the hands shaking uh the, the the nerves that everyone gets but after a while you know that's that's how you get through to the other side and the buzz is always worth it then 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 you'll be trying to find more stages to get onto <laughs> that's the difficult <laughs> yeah yeah so does that does that help is that massively do you know what's happened there as you were speaking i've i've been transported back about 8 years because when i first started speaking i remember i'd just given one of my first speeches to about 10 people it wasn't very many and i sat down yeah. and I, i just leaned over to the the person next to me who i knew at that point was quite an experienced speaker because i'd seen him speak a few times and i just said does this get any easier and i remember yeah. the advice and it's very similar to what you've just said he said if you want to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations you'll never do it in yeah. uncomfortable situations I said go find yourself yeah, in uncomfortable situations and and that advice yeah. has governed the last 8 years of my life because i didn't start out speaking to 250 300 people i didn't start out speaking you know on on stages i i started out speaking in hotel rooms in front of 10 15 20 people and it grew sure. from there so Absolutely. When you see somebody who's who's confident and accomplished at what they do, what you don't see is the practice hours and the practice hours and the practice hours and the times where they thought it went wrong. And and I've had events that I've been to where I've delivered it and thought that didn't go as well as I thought it was going to go in rehearsal. I'm disappointed with that. But then somebody like you say comes up to you or sends you a card and says, "Do you know it was so wonderful? I got this from it, and it's changed how I think about it." And yeah. You think, oh gosh, even though I struggled, somebody's taken something from it. So. you know it it does have its mercies and its graces does this this profession of of performing for people and you know it's it's just one of those things where like you say there's no shortcut to success it takes time and it takes practice and I, i'm always reminded of michael jordan when he you know we always equate him to be this phenomenal basketball player but he said 26 yeah. occasions i was trusted to take the game winning shot and i missed and you imagine yeah. how he must have felt on each of those 26 occasions he knew the number so it must stick with him but then yeah. obviously you look at what he succeeded at and and people see the championships and the records and the name up on the wall but they don't see the 26 times where he he doubted himself so it's about the two extremes and everything and um, a part of that is taking the risk isn't it just just taking the risk you you might miss uh so i think that's the, that's the difference so some people are willing to are willing to have a go and see what happens and uh Yeah uh, that that's one thing that I would say is I, I promise it, it does get easier and like you just said actually that's something that I haven't touched on but you're absolutely spot on is is start small um you don't just suddenly have to start with a performance in front of 500 people I didn't uh, start off with something small perhaps as a small presentation at work that you could do or something at the beginning of class um if if you know if some of your listeners are in college or something maybe that the first step could be speaking out in front of your class uh you know or your lecturer so 
yeah, start small. But most performers don't start off with arenas full of people. <laughs> we all go through very similar journeys. I haven't got to the arenas yet. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I'm not. I'm not as big as David Copperfield yet. But uh, yeah, start start small. Don't panic and think that you have to suddenly suddenly do a TEDx talk to to a thousand people. Most people don't do that at the beginning, unless unless you're just a natural communicator. But most normal people like us, I think, uh, learn to do it over a bit of time and quite a few performances. So for me, magic and, and comedy and music are very similar in the sense that I think the journeys the journeys are the same, uh, regardless of the actual material that you're performing. And it sounds like my journey is very similar to yours, um, even though the material is is different. You know, we go through the same stages, don't we? So, yeah. What a wonderful hour it's been. I'm very grateful for for you, Richard, for giving up your time and your your advice and your wisdom and your experiences and, and sharing selflessly, you know, some of your your top tips. All of Richard's details will be in the show notes below. So the website, the Facebook page, you know, social media profiles, go and check them out. Go get involved, get in touch with Richard directly. He's very, very easy to communicate with, as I know, because I've talked to you quite a few times over, over message, Instagram and, and email. So yeah, if you have you. any events where you would benefit from any kind of magic or an extra little sprinkling of magic on your event, get in touch with Richard, please. All his details will be in the show notes below. And it only remains for me to say to you, Richard, thank you sincerely for coming on the show this morning and for everything that uh, that you shared with us. Oh, thank you for having me, Simon. Really enjoyed that. And yes, please, if your listeners want any help with anything, just give me a shout. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on your show. Really enjoyed that. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. I hope that what you've learned in today's episode will help you become a more effective communicator as you put it into practice. You can visit my website, simonspeaks.co.uk for more information, tips, articles and resources or to speak to me about working with me as a coach. I'm also available on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Simon Speaks. I'm on LinkedIn and I also have a YouTube channel. Just search for Simon Speaks. Thanks again for tuning in today and I look forward to seeing you again next time.